Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. This week, Bruce speaks with Callista Corley, Chief Revenue Officer for FuelCycle. She shares her experience of being a female leader in a male-dominated field and her passion for elevating and supporting women and their voices. Her insight about extending vulnerability and showing your work when it comes to personal growth makes for great conversation. Callista also explains that it is not just possible, but rather a responsibility to respectfully question authority. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan. Today I have Callista Corley. She's the Chief Revenue Officer at FuelCycle, a market research cloud technology provider. Callista, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And so market research cloud technology provider, tell us a little bit more about FuelCycle. Yeah, I would love to. And how fancy does that sound, Bruce? Market research cloud technology. It's really actually amazing and cool what we get to do at FuelCycle. So um, what we do, we are a tech company. So as you just heard, market research cloud technology. But what we're doing is we're supporting really brands across the enterprise place. And we are conducting insights and research. So what our technology does and the research cloud is really powerful at doing is connecting these brands with those audiences that matter so great to them. So whether that's their customers, their prospects, or their users, making sure they have that always-on continuous communication flow with those users is what we do. Is this a form of business intelligence? Is that essentially what you guys provide? Yeah, and that's absolutely a part of it because a huge part of the platform is actually taking the information from all of those communication and connections you're making with those customers and actually building insights and showcasing data and actually driving actions and telling people and businesses based on what we're hearing and based on all of that business intelligence, what are some of those key actions that you should consider taking as a business? And so your, your, your clients and customers, are they buying uh, organization-specific data from you or insights from you, or, or is it themselves against benchmark data, or is it overall, here's what's happening in the marketplace? So what they're buying in our technology is the ability to actually collect data from those people that matter to them. So through qualitative, you know, open-ended questions or IDIs and video focus group talking to consumers or maybe quantitative survey data. So through our technology, they're able to collect that voice of their customer and that data in real time. But also to your point, Bruce, they're also able to connect back to things like behavior behavioral data or receipt capture data as just an example, and in one platform actually make the connection between all of those data sources. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and you're the chief revenue officer. What's a chief revenue officer? 
Yeah, it's an, it's sort of like the market research cloud. It sounds pretty fancy, I'd say. Um, and I'm not really a title person, to be honest with you. That's not what uh, motivates me. But chief revenue officer sounds pretty cool. What it means, what it means to fuel cycle in our organization is um, I oversee growth of the company, which is pressure is on and very exciting weight on my shoulders. What I do on a day-to-day basis, obviously, is I interact with prospects. I interact with all of our amazing customers. Customers and I oversee all of the new business operations. So, all of that new business into the organization to drive growth, as well as existing customer growth and partnership channel growth. How big is the organization? How big is Fuel Cycle? Yeah, we're about 120 employees and growing really, really quickly. So, hopefully, that will be more like 150, 160 by the end of the year. Wow. And, and with you in charge of growth, uh, I think we can bank on that. Well, thank you for that um, confidence. I will say that, you know, Fuel Cycle in 2020, it was a record year of growth. And then again, in 2021, it was another record breaking year for us. So the need um, for us, um, and I think the care that we have and the time going on over the past three years, um, in particular, where brands recognize research is so critical and insights is so critical. But but what's almost more critical is being able to get those insights in a really timely, very quick and ongoing regular basis. So it's really worked well for us to be able to support amazing brands in their need to get that data quickly and have the voice of their customer on a continuous basis. Almost like a dashboard approach. Yeah. And just imagine if you are the CMO, just giving an example of Clorox and something incredibly important comes to your attention and you have the ability to literally, if you want to yourself, tap into your actual customers within minutes and actually dive into certain segments and get those insights real time, as you said, in a dashboard immediately. That's fantastic. So what what kind of a team do you run? Is your team team uh, uh, business development professionals? Are they salespeople? Are they account managers? Yeah, all of the above, which makes my day so, so exciting. I do. We work with um, our team consists of that business development function. So um, SDRs, um, as well as enterprise sales directors who are really there discussing value in our product versus what's going on in pain points in the market for our prospects, as well as our amazing customer success team, uh, which once we have customers on board, they are those day-to-day advocates talking through the technology. And our account director team, which is there to be that strategic guide throughout the relationship of our of our customer. And they all report up through you. Yeah, they do. So I know um, uh, this industry can be viewed as very male dominant and that you're proud to represent women leaders in this industry. What advice do you have for, I mean, do you think that's a fair thing to zero in on? Like the, the, that, um, I think that's great to be a female leader in a male dominated environment and to be mindful of that and to be seeking uh, to represent and support women in this industry. I feel very blessed. And what you just said, I think is so important is you almost questioned yourself for a second there. You're like, is this, the, is this okay to say? And I think um, I'm so glad you said that because in fact, it is male dominant, not only the tech world, but also sales in general. And when you put technology industry and you mix that with the sales function, it's actually extremely male dominant. And I think pointing that out is really critical because we got here for a reason. And 
women um, like myself, not patting myself on the back, but we offer, I think, a really amazing value point in this industry and in sales in general. And so to elevate the voice of women uh, leaders and just women generally in this industry and in this function, I think is critical. And I feel personally this, you know, we can talk about mission at some point in terms of leadership style, but I do feel very blessed to be in the position I'm in. And I feel a responsibility to elevate the fact that there is a very big gap um, still today and that women are amazing leaders and amazing sales professionals. And there's something that we should all be thinking about in terms of making sure we're closing that gap and we have a very amazing, diverse workforce and leadership um, group across both tech and sales functions. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with looking at the marketplace and saying, well, gosh, 50% plus of consumers are women and looking at the t- looking at the talent market and saying, gosh, we're, we're having a really hard time hiring and retaining talent. Well, okay, 50% plus of the talent market is women. And then if you're looking and seeing obvious gaps in your, in your customer base or your, your talent base, your organization, your leadership, and you're a data-driven person, obviously, right? You're a data-driven person. So if that's the data, then an awareness of that data is critical to making observations and projecting out that data and informing strategic actions. It's absolutely right. It's data. It's also, it's our responsibility. Um, And it's not just in the women in leadership ranks at tech or sales functions. It's really that curiosity and desire to uncover where we as a society and obviously as business professionals could improve. Um, And a part of that is making sure that we are including a very diverse set of voices really in every function and everything that we do. Yeah. And it seems like inclusion um, has, the idea of inclusion has been unnecessarily politicized. I like to look at it in pure business terms, an inclusive organization, an inclusive team, an inclusive approach. It just seems smart. I agree with that. It seems smart. And I, I'm very happy to see um, the elevation of this as a topic. And yes, I agree. And I'm so lucky to work with these amazing brands. And one thing that I will say that Fuel Cycle sees a lot of is the insights and research functions at these large enterprise organizations, taking that commitment to diversity and inclusion, and actually using research and insights and community platform technology to, again, make Make sure that all of the voices of their consumers, users, and prospects are heard. And that as a brand, to your point, Bruce, that we're making smart business decisions, not just based on one voice, but based on everybody's voice that really matters to the business and obviously to the product. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the voice of of the customer business, you got to be in the voice of the customer business. Yeah. And the experience business, right? We're all in the experience business in the insights and research space. Expectations, sentiments, what we all expect, our desires, our needs as consumers. If I just step back myself, you know, I'm very different from what I need than what you need, Bruce, potentially. And so if from a research insights perspective, if we're not really making sure we're diving into all these segments and audiences, we're in trouble. We're probably not making the best decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. Uh, but, I, but I'm zeroing in on your role as a female leader, your role as, as a leader of women in leadership roles. I know you're an active member of Chief 
which is a, a, a network that, that connects and supports women executive leaders. I know that you're, you're involved with WIRE. It's a community with the purpose of advancing contributions in the voice of women in research. So I know that this is not an incidental area of interest for you. And I'm so fortunate. I think the reason I'm personally so passionate about elevating women's voices is in part because I really benefited throughout my life and career through amazing women and men who are also on that mission. And through groups like Chief and through groups like Wire Women in Research, um, they really helped me to learn and to navigate some really crazy hard situations in my career to make sure that I wasn't thrown off my path of where I wanted to go and that I was able to get where I wanted to go. So yeah, it's not incidental. I definitely have a a passion for elevating and supporting women um, and their voice, including my own. And part of that is my commitment to helping others like others helped me throughout my past. Yeah. And I think, you know, from the reason I mentioned data is just that, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, why are you emphasizing this? Well, because it's an evident gap. That's why we're emphasizing it. It's an evident gap. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I can give a million examples. But um, so we have, uh, there are all these CEO rankings, right? So like the tech industry or the, you know, here are the top 50, you know, amazing CEOs across the tech or even the research industry. And there are all these polls and these great accolades. And every time I open one up, I, I look at it and I think, why are there only five women out of 50, right? And we can give a million examples. But to your point, the data is there. It shows that there is an absolute gap that we need to work on collectively um, and make sure, again, that women have an equal opportunity and that they have the means to create the path that they want for themselves. And again, it's one to close the gap, but it's also because to your point, businesses are better. Business decisions are better. We all are better when we have more diversity. So it's not just a selfish Callista, hey, like let's make sure it's 50-50. I mean, there's so much good that will come for everybody if we can really look at that, that number and that gap and do something about it. Yeah, exactly. It's not about uh, quotas. It's about not leaving customers on the table because you don't know how to speak to them. It's about not leaving talent on the table because you don't know how to employ them and value them and keep them. And it's, and it's about having fewer voices at the table when you're trying to make good decisions and then wondering why your decisions keep missing the mark. Well, because you don't have enough voices at the table. So uh, I see this as purely business logic. And by the way, it's also the right thing to do. Yeah, it's a great combo. Yeah, 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 exactly. So given all that and given that you're a leader of uh, you've got. So how many people on your team for whom you're responsible directly? Yeah. So again, it's a company of of hopefully 120 to 150 this year. There's about 40 members of the sales organization today at Fuel Cycle. Wow. So, I mean, these people, this is how they make a career. This is how they contribute to the organization. This is how they feed their families. And, and, and they have dinner with their family. They talk about their boss or their boss's boss or their boss's boss's boss. They're talking about you. That's a huge responsibility, right? And I know leading at that level, you have advice. What's your philosophy? What's your approach to leadership? 
I'll just tell you if it's okay, a little bit of a story, because right now I'm so fortunate to work with the team that I work with today. But I was thrown into leadership pretty darn early. And I fell on my face uh, quite a bit, to be honest with you. And one of the things that I learned about leading, and I think is like, honestly, the most critical element to success is being vulnerable and being yourself. And so for me to just say to you, Bruce, on your beautiful podcast that others may listen to, and to say that I have failed and I've fallen on my face, I think that is the key to starting your journey to be a really effective leader. And a part of that is because people want to be amazing. They want to do great things. They want to be a part of something greater than themselves. I think we all know that. But to help people on that journey and to have people feel really comfortable leaning in with you and and sharing things with you that help you then lead them and grow them in directions that they need to be led, you have to have that vulnerability as a human. And so that's really, I think, just the starting point for me of what matters greatly to me is continuing to be myself. And that's all the egg on my face and the faults and mistakes that I make. Um, and I will share those happily and learn from them. Being vulnerable is key. Boy, I, I, I'm so impressed that you emphasize that. I think extending vulnerability is 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 tough, you know, and, and especially if it's uh, people with whom you're trying to uh, have a relationship that that includes authority in the workplace. And, and it requires so much confidence and courage to extend one's vulnerability. I mean, the irony is, of course, if you walk around like you have no vulnerability, everyone knows, right? You're human. Everyone, know, you know, then they just wonder, I wonder what the points of vulnerability yeah, what are. What are they hiding? They're hiding something. And, 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 and some people, you know, they can seem so intimidating. Uh, but then when they have a bad day or a bad week, then people are like, ah, see, you know, nobody's rooting for them. But there's really a fine art of extending vulnerability in such a way that you make yourself human and you invite other people to share with you and yet you still maintain a relationship of trust and confidence and where you can still leverage authority or I don't know do you agree with that or how do you strike that balance I agree with that. I mean, first of all, the reason I mentioned vulnerability is is to your point, you have to be courageous and confident enough, which can be really hard and start at that place. At the same time, you have to be really good at what you do. You have to be really capable to lead any team in any organization, no matter the size. And so that skill building and that growth and making sure you understand what you're really good at and you're able to teach and coach and mentor other people in those great things that you have to bring, but also the areas that maybe you're not so great in. And obviously, you surround yourself with that amazing talent to balance you out, but also dig in and learn. And that's another part of the reason that I think the greatest leaders are super committed to constantly learning and making themselves uncomfortable. Dive into a session or a class or a podcast that makes you uncomfortable because the thinking is different than what you normally would think or a, a math problem that would make your head spin, but try to figure out a way to get there. So the competence, you can't hide from competence, right? You can't lead without bringing something really valuable to the table. But having that combined with that vulnerability, I think, again, it allows people to want to seek your guidance and to want to learn from you and they feel safe and they should feel safe. 
Yeah, Callista, I love what you're saying and how you're saying it. And, you know, I often will say like, so, okay, you're really, really, really good at your job. Okay. And you're really, really, really hardworking and you have a really great attitude. You're in the game. Now, how are you going to set yourself apart, right? How are you going to continue to be that and do that and still fight over commitment syndrome, uh, maintain respectful, supportive relationships, up, down, sideways, and diagonal, and, and keep moving the ball forward and keep innovating? And so extending vulnerability, I think, is, is such a great concept for people to understand. And, and it's not about bad-mouthing yourself. It's not about undermining your own credibility uh, but it's rather about showing that part of strength is being candid about being human. And, and, and I love what you said also about if you really want to grow. I mean, dude, frankly, it's good advice only if you want to accelerate your growth is find ways to get out of your comfort zone. And that is hard. And that's both business and life, right? It's, uh, it's not easy to, to know you're about to get uncomfortable and to just go for it. Um, but I do think that's inspirational. And so just tying in another level of leadership and thinking about competency, of course, and being vulnerable and, and really having that connection, obviously, with your team, but to inspire and to inspire to me, um, yes, it has to do with being a human, but showcasing growth and showcasing how you personally have personal desires and things that you really want to do in your life or in business and the journey that is bumpy to get there. And some of those boulders you move and maybe they fall back on you sometimes and you have to move to the left or shimmy to the right. But I think that's what inspires people is it's showcasing that path and that real path that isn't always roses. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and growth. Okay. So, so far we're at extend vulnerability, put yourself in uncomfortable situations if you want to accelerate, uh, your growth and then, and then it's okay to show your work, right? Show the growth. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. By the way, to your customers too, everybody, <laughs> I always say it's okay sometimes to pat yourself on the back and not in a gross, yucky way, but you have to expect that not everybody sees everything that you're doing. And how do you showcase that in a way that is not gross, right? You're actually like showing your work. You're showing away. You're helping again. If it's a team, you're helping them watch. You're here. You're a leader. You have likely a bit more experience experience than some of the people on your team and they're looking to you. And so to watch that journey for yourself and allow that to be super transparent and raw, I think is great. Yeah. And that's very zeitgeisty right now, right? I mean, after all, over the last two years, gosh, right? Gosh, totally. I know you're fond of saying question authority respectfully. Why is that one of your mantras? Oh, it's so funny you picked up on that. You must have stalked me somewhere on social media or something. But yeah, so I honestly, I don't know if if there's a person I've worked with who hasn't heard me say that multiple times. And before FeelCycle, I worked at a larger organization and was very fortunate to have hundreds of people working in my teams, um, very diverse group of teams and functions, which was really great experience. And they've all heard me say question authority respectfully. And where that comes from, I'll tell you really really quick. And then I'll tell you why it's so important to me as a leader. 
My mom, I grew up with a great family and my mom for a good stint of my childhood was a single parent. And I watched her as a mom of two young daughters um, who didn't have a college education fight with an or- a program in Vermont, actually, um, Goddard College, to allow her two young daughters to go to school and to live on campus. Because as a single mom, there's no other way she could have made that happen to get her education and to build her own growth was to question a university and say, hey, I need a single parent program. Um, I also watched her bring my sister and I to Little League, where it was boys only. My sister and I, quite frankly, my sister's better than me at all sports, but uh, we both were able to play um, on the boys team, which is something we wanted to do. And we were those girls with the hair flying behind the baseball cap. And my mom made that happen because she actually, like, she fought for it in a respectful manner. And then, you know, another example I would say is um, for me personally, my first time really seeing what it can do for me as a person and how I feel and my personal personal growth is in middle school, I experienced uh, the best teacher, all these accolades forever actually um, come out as gay. And within a week, he was fired. And as a seventh grader, I was shocked. And um, the approach that I, I am very actually looking back pretty darn proud of is I was able to organize the whole middle school to do a sit in. And the entire school sat in the hallways, nobody moved. So thinking about a respectful way to question authority, I was ultimately suspended for that because the superintendent came down and said, to get everybody back to class now or you're suspended. And I chose the suspension route, which um, is counter to my straight A sort of um, demeanor. But again, to me, I just grew up learning that there are great ways where you can question really quickly frankly, maybe not so good decisions and that it's our responsibility to do that. I want to look at the ROI that you've seen in these examples. So the ROI on respecting authority, but questioning it. If you're a good citizen in any organization and you see authority making the wrong decisions, then questioning authority respectfully is a good way to try to help those leaders in that organization avoid unnecessary problems, not just do the right thing, right? But avoid unnecessary problems and avoid causing damage. And as a leader, and and this is why I think back to my mom in those examples as a leader so often because, and I tell my team, question authority respectfully. And by the way, that very much includes myself is because to your point, as a leader, you don't see everything. You don't have the ability as much as we connect with everybody in the business as we should. You don't see it through the eyes of every individual in your organization or every customer, or every prospect. And for you to be able to know and have this line of people that will respectfully tell you when something might be amiss, it's the best gift a leader can have where you have silence and you continue a business strategy that sounds amazing. And Harvard Business would be like, go Callista, go, which I am not Harvard Business. I am not there yet. Someday, maybe. 
I think that's the biggest gift we can ask for is like help us make sure we're making right decisions. And by the way, look at our past as a society. Forget business for a second. How many bad decisions have we made that if we put ourselves in that society now, we would say, of course, we should have raised our hand and yelled, hey, please don't do that or do something else. So that's happening every day. Businesses are making bad decisions. I make bad leadership decisions. And, and my expectation for my team is that they respectfully advocate for what they think is right. Um, at the same time, it might not always be right. And it is the decision of that organization or whatever it may be to move forward. But, but to give them that insight is so, so critical. And it's really that gift. Right. So, so uh, I, I, I'm glad you're making that point that this isn't meant to invite ongoing debate about basic operational details, right? That, 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 that can become uh, a nightmare for everyone. Question authority respectfully, and then every single detail turns into an unmanageable debate and, and somebody's got to make the decisions. Yeah. And it's funny. You, I'm so happy we're underscoring that. And I think I'm I'm very transparent about that as well with my teams and as a leader, which is, listen, here's how business works, right? Here's how, here's how as an organization we are going to move forward. And the fact is there is a decision process. Decisions have to be, be made. And so that's really important. I think businesses that are too much democracy and it's like, let's hear from everybody every five seconds, you're not going to move forward fast enough, right? You have to be able to make decisions and not have to have that. But what I'm referring to, to your point, is where there's something that is really amiss, where there's something that you know you have valuable information or insight that will change the trajectory of a team culture or a business, it is your responsibility to professionally and respectfully voice that. Yeah, and it's and it's. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and it's learning from collective wisdom. And you know, there's a great rule that uh, military and intelligence leaders espouse, which is, "What do I know? Who else needs to know? Have I told them?" And it's a really simple rule. What do I know? Who else needs to know? Have I told them? And it's it's just a great mindset. And, and yet to balance that with, we've got to make decisions and execute. We've got to make decisions and execute. But, you know, the great Warren Bennis, uh, the leadership guru Warren Bennis is famous for one piece of, I mean, he's famous for a lot of things, but one piece of research he's famous for is, you know, that the most effective leaders, it's not that they make more good decisions than everyone else, or at least than, than the top 10% or whatever, but the very, 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 very best. It's not just that. It's that when they make bad decisions, they have good ways of recognizing them quickly and undoing them. And if you've got a team who's afraid to push back, uh, you're going to be less likely to identify bad decisions quickly. That's so great. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that is so, so true. There's not a leader that hasn't or won't make bad decisions. And so that process, and I am an SOP nerd and operational minded. So thinking about as a leader in your mind, how you evaluate what decisions might not be really, really good after you've made them and that process around either rectifying or moving or shifting um, direction as quickly as humanly possible. Um, and then learning from that so that you can apply that moving forward and make less bad decisions, hopefully. 
And, and, and you have to have a supple, complex view in order to take on this new information, integrate it and revise and adjust, revise and adjust, revise and adjust, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about in life and in business, right? Revise and adjust. I'm guessing that, you know, you're in charge of like a zillion dollar budget or a zillion dollars in sales or whatever it is. Let's call it a zillion. And so I know that's a huge amount of pressure, bottom line pressure, EBITDA pressure, whatever it is. And yet your approach that you emphasize is so humanistic. And and, and what I love about that is I think that it's um, people who are standard operating procedure nerds to use your own moniker, uh, people who are data driven, people who are, you know, who have that investor looking over their shoulder, who know they have to drive growth. And yet they know that being a humanistic minded leader is not the other side of the equation. It's how you make all that happen. Yeah, it is. And I think, and just to, I mean, I'm super competitive. Weirdly enough, throughout my life, I I enjoy, it's like a weird thing for me. I enjoy the pain of that awful pressure. But at the same time, I do recognize and I do strongly believe nailing targets and hitting the success criteria that is in front of you is dependent on your ability to be vulnerable, your ability to enlist others, you know, feedback where it makes sense, but also make decisions quickly um, and be human. Because unless you're able to do that, again, like leadership is about not your performance. It's about team's performance and individuals around you's performance that lead up to something great. And if they're not inspired and they don't feel like they have a trusted, open dialogue communication, and they're not super clear that they can be vulnerable with you, they're not going to succeed and therefore you're not going to succeed. So I think what we've been talking about today are actually imperatives to being able to nail that pressure with confidence. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do that while also maintaining the relationships of trust and confidence with people up, down, sideways and diagonal, even when you're feeling the pressure? One thing that, you know, anyone that I hire and anyone that I've ever worked with, they know that I have extremely high expectations. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that because I think how you do that is being very clear and open and honest with people. And here's where we're going. Here is the, the mission. And here's why it's important not only for our organization, but for me, be vulnerable. For me, Callista, and also how I see it being so important for you personally and your growth. Um, and that transparency and clarity of purpose really enables you to keep people really focused on that performance and going and hitting those targets and to be able to deal with that crazy pressure. And they, they understand the pressure. It's not a surprise. When I'm stressed out and I'm pulling my hair out and there's a board meeting tomorrow and I can't sleep, I mean, the team's like, hey, Cal, how you doing? How's it going? Is there anything I can do for you? No, it's pressure cooker time, um, which is an amazing place to be. Yeah, it really is. And and the pressure comes from the inside also. I mean, are you folks feeling any of this uh, great resignation, great rethink? I mean, your your people must be getting calls from headhunters every day or every other day. Yes, they sure are. And I think that's the biggest compliment. Um, and I tell them that too, and I'm so proud of them. And I think everybody has the right and, and should be excited when they hear from a recruiter. 
And it's in their best interest to listen and understand what's out there. So that's that's a starting point. But yeah, I think every organization, certainly Fuel Cycle isn't perfect in terms of um, hiding and able to just hide from people having these crazy high market offers. So far, um, and knock on wood, we've been really, really fortunate in our sales organization. Um, I will say that being out on the floor at conferences over the past six months, I've had sales leaders from pretty much every tech research insights platform company come up and recruit nearly in front of me, my staff with wildly high compensation packages. Um, And you counter that, obviously making sure that you are at, you are offering market value. You know, you have to ensure that you are at market value. It's going to cost you a lot, but you have to do that. Um, But also, again, I think that culture um, is so, so critical to maintaining that team. Yeah, I mean, and and it's like, it's funny you mentioned the conferences because I hear that a lot from business leaders nowadays that, you know, we're at these industry conferences and people walk right up to your team and try to recruit them away. And it's, it's you know, it's like somebody going up to your significant other and or, or, or going up to your kids and being like, hey, how'd you like to come live with us? Hey, man, that's my family. Get away from them. When it comes to the work, it's a free market and uh, this is America and people are allowed to go work wherever they want. So it's an awkward dynamic. How do, what's your strategy for, so you said you got to pay market competitive. Uh, what are the other strategies you use so that people don't want to go work for someone else? It's actually very aligned to how I sell. So when I'm thinking about talking to a prospect or thinking about talking to a team number, member, a candidate, again, it goes back to that realist, you know, just being who you are and, and being super transparent about that. Every company has different things to offer. Um, And I'm very clear on the benefits of working for Fuel Cycle. I'm very clear. um, But again, it's based on the individual. Everybody has different uh, motivations and needs in their life. And all of the great things that Fuel Cycle has to offer that I could try to sell you on may not work for an individual because they're looking for something that a different company in our space has and we don't. And so how I address that, Bruce, honestly, is being honest about that and not hiding things. And so here are the great things. Here's what I see in Fuel Cycle. Here's where we're going. Here's what you could be a part of. Here's what you are a part of. If you're looking at this other company because you want to do why and we're not doing that, then let's keep in touch and let's help each other. By the way, partnership opportunities are huge these days. Yeah, so let's so let's help you leave on good terms so that A, if you find out the grass isn't so much greener on the other side, maybe you'll come back. And and B, if you go uh, make something great for yourself there, maybe we'll have a chance to work together uh, as partners. Maybe you'll be a vendor, maybe you'll be a customer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so important. But it goes to, I think for existing employees, one of the most critical things for leaders to do is really, uh, this is an obvious one, um, but is to really connect up front and to take that time. It's, there's no more important thing for you to do. More important for me than being on the phone with, sorry, Clorox, but with Clorox is to be on the phone with one of my employees and spending the time to actually really get to know them. And to understand what motivates them, understand who they want to be, where they want to be someday, what matters most to them. And it's that that keeps employees around. Because if you're doing that right from the start, 
then you should, as an organization and as a leader, be tapping into those needs and to be helping them grow in those areas that are unique to them and not the same for everybody on the team. And I think that's what keeps people, even if there is a differentiation in, um, in potential comp. Yeah. And I mean, if, and if somebody's saying to you, Hey, look, well, well there, what I'm going to get to do is come to work whenever I feel like it and bring my dog and they're going to give me a helicopter ride to work so I don't have to sit in traffic. And then you say, wow, God bless you. What, a, what, how fortunate for you. Yeah, I do find, and I don't know if this, if other people will laugh at this. I, my experience is if you're close, like that's why I said market, like you have to have um, a people leader that is looking out there and making sure that you are treating people the way that they deserve in terms of compensation and benefits. I think that's super important. But I have found, I really do believe it's way more about innate. It's way more about desires that people have to be a part of something freaking fantastic and feeling like they are personally growing and that you hear them and that you see them. And I think that is far more important than that helicopter ride or that all-inclusive, as much out of office as you want. Um, those things can be important. But again, that's why I think leadership is, is such a gift and a responsibility you have the opportunity to help people be who they want to be someday. And and look, you know, but money, it's not like money doesn't matter. It's just that money's not the only thing that matters. And people will give up some differential and pay opportunity if they have more control over their own schedule, if they like who they're working with, if they have some control over their workspace and location, if they have a range of tasks and responsibilities that include some that they like, if they feel they're learning, right? It's not like money doesn't matter, but other things do matter. A hundred percent. And also, again, it goes back to every person's different. Actually, money doesn't matter to some people, which sounds crazy, but maybe they have a ton of loot in their in their bank, which I've never had and I hope to have someday. But some people might not actually really need the extra 20 grand base salary that they could get somewhere else, right? So again, it's about really understanding and knowing that person. But I will again underscore, as you did, Bruce, that you have to have the right compensation based on the person's value. Uh, fairness is so critical. And right now we're in a position where things have been shaken and stirred. So if there's any leader organization that isn't as a priority, dedicating time to making sure that every role and every function in your organization has the right compensation structure. I mean, most of them have changed over the past three years. You have said that that you value people over profit at fuel cycle, and yet uh, you are a market-based business. You do have investors. You do have to hit a bottom line. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, and I've I've never had the pleasure of really experiencing this kind of culture until fuel cycle. I think it's incredibly rare. I think it's easy for companies to make people decisions that are detriments to the actual business success. And so you don't last very long, right? <laughs> um, but I think the way that fuel cycle is and continues to really showcase value in people while being a very high performing business is making decisions like, as an example, many organizations had to make tough decisions in the start of the pandemic. And we as an organization made a people first decision that, you know, honestly, I'm a performance based leader, but even anyone who was on a performance improvement plan, we were not letting them go. 
during that first six months of the pandemic. No way, no how. And honestly, that wouldn't have been, um, that wasn't a great decision if you look at the books, right? Not knowing what was coming, like, oh my gosh. Um, And we made that decision and it was not an easy one for, I would say, most organizations. And it wasn't even a question for Fuel Cycle because that's a people decision you make because you care. You care about the people and you, you roll the dice. We had to roll the dice a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 now you're you're still growing and you are reaping some of the benefits of that. Yeah, I mean the the obviously and that's where people again be, culture matters. People want to be a part of a company that has their best interests at heart, not part of companies that make consistent all-in people decisions at the detriment of the success of the business of course. Um but it is decisions like that that put people at the center. People look at that and say, you know, this is a type of organization I, I want to be a part of. And I hear this every day, by the way, Bruce, because we're working obviously with enterprises and it's the same thing for consumers. Thinking about how you treat people as an organization is where the loyalty comes from or the disloyalty comes from today from consumers. Um, So those decisions do come back to either haunt you or to actually really elevate the success of the brand when you put that consumer first, when you put that care of the person in in your team first. What I like to say is if people are really your number one asset and if people are really the ones who are assessing needs and driving value creation for your clients and customers, it's just a matter of navigating the competing interests and trying to do as much as you can to lift people up and help them make better contributions. And if your organization, to your point about compensation, if your organization compensates people appropriately, then what you do is you give every single person a chance to add more value and earn more in exchange. Yeah, I think that's key is allowing them to add that value. And 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 helping them add that value. Yes, that's what we're here for. Callista, <laughs> tell us if if you were uh to talk with somebody who's looking at you or listening to this and saying, How do I get to be more like you? And 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 let's say you just have an elevator ride to give them some advice. What's your takeaway elevator pitch for how someone gets to be more like Callista Corley? Oh, geez, that feels so weird. Um, but thank you. I'll take I'll take it and uh, see how I do. So I think really simply is um, you have to hone in on your own personal mission. Um, you have to be really self-aware of who you want to be and what matters to you and stick to that. And every decision you make from a career path and who you surround yourself with needs to be aligned to that personal mission and who you want to be. That is excellent advice. Callista Corley, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Please join us on our next episode when Bruce speaks with Ryan Jenkins, author, speaker, and founder of LessLonely.com and co-author of the new book, Connectable. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong 
and stay indispensable.